If you have your Bibles, if we can get the lights up too so we can all see our Bibles. Uh, Luke chapter 14 is where we're going to be playing this morning. For those of you who do not know who I am, which is I, I feel like a lot of you, uh, my name is Kevin Barra. I'm the youth pastor um, overseeing all of the youth at Grace Bible Church. I, most of my energy is spent at Anderson, and uh, Chris Pletcher is, is one of the youth staff. He does a phenomenal job. You all know him well, and we're so thankful that he focuses his time and energy um, on this campus, and um, I'm so glad that, that I have I work with him. He's a, he's a great guy and a, a great leader. Um, I, I don't know why it turned out this way, but I think uh, Brian and Blake both punted on the subject that we're going to be talking about this morning, which is the cost of discipleship. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to read it for us, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to launch into um, this section. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if it... If he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks him for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Therefore, salt is good. But if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we come humbly before your word this morning. And Lord, this is a challenging call to all of us. And so, Father, I pray that you give us wisdom and humility as we approach your word, as we hear your voice, as we learn from you. Father, I pray that you bring both conviction and contentment as you expose sin in our lives, but you show us your grace. And if you're up for it, I would ask that you would pray for yourself, that your mind would be open, that your heart would be ready to hear God's words to you. And if you're willing, I'd ask that you pray for me, that my mind would be clear, my words would be clear, and we would hear exactly what God would want to have to speak to us. Father, we trust you. We love you. Use this time. Amen. A good guide or a careful coach. A good guide or a careful coach. One prepares people... The other prepares players for the future. A good guide knows the rocky terrain of the the travelers going forward. A good coach spends hours mulling over game film and game tapes to prepare his players for the coming competition. Whether you're a good guide or a careful coach, you know this. You need to anticipate the future, anticipate issues, fill in what's lacking, and make suggestions. 
It was May of 2005. The destination, Colorado. The activity, backpacking. The plan, four days of foraging through the forest of Pagosa Springs, Colorado. We were going to Master Mountains. It was uh, just after my wife and I had gotten married. It was the first vacation that we took after our honeymoon. And we drive to Pagosa Springs, Colorado, with great plans, great aspirations of conquering the mountain peaks. And really, this, this was a chance for me to show my wife how much of a man I really am. Right? <laughs> so we get all of our gear in the car, we drive to Pagosa Springs, Colorado, and we meet up with my cousin Brock. Now, my, my cousin Brock was a seasoned hiker, a seasoned guide. He had led many backpacking trips. And so we get all of our gear, we go to him, and he literally rips open our backpacks and pulls out every item that we had in our, in our bag. He pulls out my sleeping bag and scrutinizes it. He says, what are you doing? You, 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 you need more space than this. And he repacks it, closes it down tighter, and shoves it you know, deeper into the bag. He then looks at the food that we're going to eat. And he looks at me, he's like, you're going to starve. What are you doing? And so he said, no, you're not going to eat with that. And so he goes into his pantry and he grabs new food and repacks that for us. He says, what are you going to wear on the trip? And I said, I don't know, we're just, you know, we're figuring it out. We're, we're adventurers, we're going to figure this out. And he's like, okay, it's wet out there. Snow is wet. In early May, it's still snowy. You're going to get wet. So here, take this jacket, take these things for your boots, okay? This will help you out. He says, are you going to be warm enough? And I'm like, I think so, i got these little gloves. Those gloves work in Texas. Those gloves don't work in Colorado. And so he gives us new gloves to wear. He packages all of this with us and prepares us. For the trip. And then he makes this suggestion. He says to us, Why don't you, instead of going four days on this adventure, why don't you just take day hikes? <laughs> yeah, right, right at the heart, right? He goes, Why don't you just take day hikes? Why don't you just go out a little bit and just kind of venture and, and, and check out and stay close to safety, stay close to security? And we said, No, we're prepared. We've got our gear. We are ready to go. And so we go and spend the night at my aunt and uncle's place. We spend the night there. We get up early. We drive to the trailhead. As we get to the trailhead, uh, we get our backpacks on. We get our gear on. And we get video camera in hand. My wife has her digital camera in hand. And we're walking along. We're posing for pictures along the way. Hey, you know, We're in the wilderness. This is great. And by mile two, we, we start to get a little bit tired. By mile three, the, the terrain, which was, which was flat in a valley, becomes steeper and steeper as we continue to climb up these switchbacks. And by the time we get to mile four, it starts to snow. And the trail is getting steeper, and the snow is getting thicker. And I've got the topographical map that I'm trying to read that, you know, to make sure that we're going the right direction. Well, I can't read it. And we get to one point where I think uh, that, that we've reached the correct spot where we basically have to scale this one last mountain peak, cross over a waterfall to the land that we're going to camp on night one. And I look up at this mountain trail, and it's basically at this point, we're going to have to rock climb up it. And by this time, it's really been snowing hard. I've got a heavy pack on. I look back at my new bride, and she looks at me covered in snow. <laughs> And she just, she just laughs at me, like, are you serious? <laughs> and I said, do you want to turn back? She said, yes. <laughs> and so we turn back and we, be, we take the long journey back home. Now, why do I tell you that? 
Because sometimes excitement and enthusiasm can be curbed quickly when we encounter a tough trail, a snowy trail. When we encounter conflict or situations that we don't fully expect, and it's very easy to turn around. In our section of scripture today, Jesus is walking with these people, and he's been traveling. This is Jesus' Jerusalem tour. I mean, Jesus has blown up on the scene, and everyone is excited about Jesus. If, for those of you that, maybe this will put it into perspective, it's like, it's like the king when he first, Elvis, when he first started getting big. It's like Michael Jackson after the Bad album. It's like uh, Justin Bieber right now. You know, he's, he's rising in fame and, and popularity, and I think I covered everyone in the audience. He's rising, he's, he's rising in popularity. Everyone's watching him. Everyone's excited about what he's doing. I mean, Jesus is teaching. Jesus is feeding 5,000. He's healing every type of disease. And everyone is looking at Jesus saying, this guy is amazing. And they're following him in excitement and exuberance. But Jesus is not one to merely look at fanfare and fanaticism and think that's enough. Jesus turns and he looks at the crowd And he tells them, as we continue this journey, you are going to encounter trials and frustrations that you've got to be prepared for. There are issues that you are going to encounter. And the rest of this section, he lays out those issues. But before before we jump into those issues, I, I want to set the stage a little bit of what is the difference between a believer and a disciple, because there is a distinction And the the simplest illustration I would give you would be that of my beautiful baby girl, Peyton Noel. She is now 12 days old, very mature. And what I would not do at this point in her life is to say, sweetheart, you've been on the earth 12 days. It's time to start earning your keep in this place, right? I mean, we've given you food, we've given you, you know, shelter, my wife My wife gives you food, but regardless, I'm here providing for you. It's time for you to start earning your keep in this place. We would never say that to her. That would be ridiculous. In the same way, as we begin walking in faithfulness with Jesus, as we begin, well, first, the journey to simple belief, it is without cost. Revelation 21.6 says, Therefore, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the springs of water, life without costs, without cost. Right below this, as you look at uh, Luke chapter 15, you see Jesus um, talking to a crowd. and He gives the three parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the prodigal son, indicating that coming to me is free. It's a free gift. You can come to me without cost. It costs you nothing. But as you begin walking with me, as you begin giving and sacrificing more of your life for my sake, there are challenges that you're going to encounter. There's greater cost as you continue to follow me. And he really lines out four major things in this cost of discipleship. What does it require? At first, he addresses these intimate issues, relations, relational, personal, social, and financial If you have your Bibles, you see each one of these um, preceded by the word own. And there's four owns in this section. There's your own father, mother, wife, children, brothers. It's really the own family. Uh, Also in verse 26, there's our own life. 
In verse 27, there's our own cross. And in verse 33, there are our own possessions. And Jesus kind of skips through and skims over these things. But we're going to take the time to look at each one of those and dissect and say, okay, how is it that Jesus is really asking us to sacrifice these things? Because the word hate, own father, own mother, that word hate really means hate. It means choose one over the other. So Jesus, what do you mean? Well, this is what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not telling us to reject relational responsibility. Like, we have relational responsibilities. You have a responsibility to your family finances. Um, In Mark chapter 7, verses 9 through 13, Jesus gets on these group of Pharisees because they are not providing for their family. They're calling their wealth Corbin, meaning given to God, so they don't have to provide for their parents. In 1 Timothy 5, 8, Paul says, But if anyone does not provide for his own and especially those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There's financial responsibility, but there are also relational roles. Husbands are to lead in a selfless and sacrificial way. Wives are to lovingly submit like Christ. Children are to honor their parents. Fathers are not to provoke children to anger, but to raise them up in the discipline of the Lord. There's marital faithfulness. We are called to be faithful to our spouse. Now, so there are relational responsibilities, but what Jesus is saying is not to reject your relational responsibilities, but he's saying this. When you follow me, I will cause conflict that requires you to make difficult decisions. When you follow me, I will cause conflict in these close relationships that will cause you to make difficult decisions. And the first one that he lines out is that with the parents, really, father and mother. And I think the biggest struggle that you and I have with our father and mother is this, approval. There's no thing that a child wants more than to have the approval of his family. To find the approval of his father and his mother. First, the father and the mother to look at the life of the child and say, I am proud of what you are doing. And for many people... I don't know as much maybe in this community, but I know there are people that are Hindu and Buddhist and Muslim that if they choose to truly walk with Jesus, their family will reject them. I hear stories all the time of students that come to A&M, meet Jesus, and they're scared about going home because they know that following Christ will cost them this family relationship. There's also struggles with the spouse, and I think if we were to us to capture what is the struggle with the spouse, it's really assistance. I mean, the, the other night, um, my wife and I are laying in bed, and it was, it was great. She turned to me and said, hey, can you just pray for our family and our baby and just kind of pray for all of us? And I was like, yes, that's easy. And also, there's another time when I, you know, she was, we were struggling on, hey, do we need to go to church today? We're kind of tired. We kind of got it off. Do we need to go there? And we we're like, yeah, we need to go. I mean, it's great when a spouse is assisting you in your walk with Jesus. When they are chasing the same goal that you are, and they can help you along that process. But I've also talked with many people where there's one spouse who isn't interested. The hardest story that I heard was a friend of mine who, who got married just after college, believing um, woman, and not a month into the, the marriage, after they moved away, they moved to a different city, his wife basically said, I do not want to go to church anymore. It was very tough for him. 
And this guy was just relational, the, the relational connection guy. I mean, no matter what room he was in, it was like the spotlight was always on him. He was always um, the friend that everyone wanted to talk to. I mean, just a gatherer. And his wife said, look, okay, I will go to church with you, but we'll go to church and we'll leave. That's it. And for this guy, it was extremely challenging. It was extremely challenging. It went against his personality, his desire, his walk. That's a conflict that, will, that can come. And Jesus is saying, look, you have a relational responsibility to love your wife as Christ loved the, loves the church. But what does he need to do? Well, he needs to continue to lead as best he can. Continue to pray as best he can. Continue his personal walk. You know what would be easy to do? To say, you know what? We're not going to go to church anymore. I'm tired of this conflict. I'm tired of this frustration. We're, let's just do something else. I'm not, I'm not even going to enter into this anymore. But instead, he continually, faithfully walks. There's conflict with children. And if you don't know that, you don't have kids. There is conflict with your children. And I think for parents, the conflict with the children is basically this, unmet expectations. All parents want, especially Christian parents, their kids to love Jesus and walk with Jesus and be you know, the sparkling, Jesus-going person. You know, I mean, I talk to parents all the time as a youth pastor. They're just like, so how much, how's my son doing? Are they, are they walking? Are they being faithful? And there are times when parents, you take your kids to church, you take your kids to Sunday school, you maybe even read the Bible at home, and then they grow up and leave the house, and they're just like, I want nothing to do with this. And Jesus is saying, this is rocky terrain that you will encounter. These are struggles that might happen in front of you. See, the people around are exuberant about what Jesus is doing in the moment, but Jesus is saying, look, okay, you've got to look long term. You've got to look at the future of what might happen, what could happen, and will you... When God does not produce the kind of kids that you want, will you reject him? The fourth one is, is that of struggle with siblings. And I say the struggle with siblings, the biggest issue is that of association. Um, I don't know uh, about you, but as I talk with more and more people and I look at my own life, you know, the people that led me into my first experimentation with uh, drinking and even smoking wasn't peer relationships. It was my sister. And I've talked with many students recently, and, and they've said, uh, one in particular, said his sister introduced him to cocaine and other hard drugs. There's another student I talked to recently, he said that it was, it was a brother that introduced this student into um, drinking and, and other bad relationships with his friends. And the truth of the matter is, if you want to follow Christ... You may have to take a step away from these close family relationships and say, you know what? I'm not going to enter into that. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take a step back, and I'm not going to enter into those circumstances that my own brother puts me in. I had a conversation with her. It was a tough one. She goes, can I really do that? Can I really tell him that? And I said, you know what? You're going to have to if you want to continue to pursue Christ above all else, you've got to break that. The first kind of issues that he addresses is first are family issues, and these are the closest and most intimate issue that you and I face. And so what does that mean for the rest of us? It may mean that at Christmas or Thanksgiving, when everyone's going to go out drinking during the time that you say, you know, I'm not going to do that. It may mean that a family and Christmas... 
particularly family and Christmas, when, when everyone's going to go and do a certain thing or, or have a certain alcoholic beverage at, at the different places and, and they're going to get drunk and you know what's going to happen, that you say, you know what, I, I'm not going to partake. Even when it's really tough. I'm not saying you can't drink, but I am saying that there are situations that you need to walk wisely through. The second treacherous thing is he says that you need to give up your own life. I know for me personally, there's, I had life aspirations. I wanted to be an attorney. I had a location that I desired to live. It was Colorado. Right? Um, I had a livelihood, and, and Brian said it best. Uh, Brian Fisher, he says, you know what? The, living in College Station in this particular town with what we're doing, well, you can make more money if you went to Houston or Dallas. There's a financial sacrifice for choosing to stay here and do ministry here. You know, God calls, calls some people to the jungles of Africa. He calls others to the high life of Los Angeles. Others suffer for Jesus in Hawaii. I'm still talking to God about that one. <laughs> But regardless, there, 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 is, there is suffering that we need to encounter. There's a rocky road that we need to walk. The next is social. And what Jesus says here in verse 27 is, Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross, um, for many of us, it's, it's the... It's what Jesus died on. But for, when Jesus is saying this, this is well before his death. This is his journey to Jerusalem. And so this imagery in their mind was, was that of this. Um, I got this from the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It says, When a Roman Empire crucified a criminal or captive, the victim was often forced to carry his cross part of the way to the crucifixion site. Carrying his cross through the heart of the city was supposed to be a tactic admission that the Roman Empire was correct in the sentence of death imposed on him, an admission that Rome was right and he was wrong. So Jesus enjoined his followers to carry their crosses and follow him. He was referring to a public display before others that Jesus was right and the disciples were following him even to their deaths. You see, the cross is a public declaration. Um, I ran track in college. I remember one week in particular, we went up to Michigan. And that week, uh, our football team had gotten destroyed by OU. I mean, just ravaged. It was like 63, just nothing. It was was something ridiculous. And so we're running there with all of our gear, and it's it's game day for them. It's pre-race day for us. And so we're running along and um, through a tail, several tailgates. You know, the tailgate like they do here at AM. You know, it's a huge tailgate. And each person we went by, they said, hey, how about OU? I was like, what? Ha, 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 you're witty. Second person, hey, how about OU? Third person, hey, how about OU? Fourth person, fifth person, fifteenth person. I mean, no matter where we went, hey, how about OU? Just, by, by that point, I was just like, this jersey, I'm just going to take it off and throw it down. I don't want to suffer this ridicule anymore. You know, you can take off a jersey, but you can't take off Christ. He has saved you, and there is a public display of this personal decision that you and I have to display. There is a public display of who Christ is for you, but secondly, the cross is a public display, but it's also an instrument of death. And so what Jesus is clearly saying to us, to these people following him, it's like, look, this is going to be public, and this may end in your death, if nothing else, a death to your fleshly desires. For a friend of mine at work, 
his superiors around him, they constantly are asking him to kind of fudge some reports or expand what um, this project that he that he's working on to explain that, no, it, it can accomplish a lot more than it actually is showing. But, and they're, they're asking him to kind of fudge on these things. And it would be so easy for him to say, you know what? Okay, you're my boss. You're my superior. But instead he says, you know what, Kevin? I can't do it. I'm following Jesus. I walk in integrity. I am not going to fudge on these reports so, that he, so these people can make a little bit more money get a little bit more funding. Personally, um, although I am a youth pastor, I don't like parading that information around, typically because the look I get is this. I remember one time in in particular, um, recently, uh, there was a man who who asked me, um, so what do you do? And he goes, oh, and I said, well, I'm a youth pastor. He goes, he says to me, oh, great, you know, it's great that you love youth. And you know what would have been easy for me to do? To say, yes, I love youth. You know, lead them well and let them lead the way. You know, I could have, could have gone that route. But that's not why I do youth ministry. That's not why I follow Jesus. And for me to do that would have been dishonest. And so I turned to him and I said, I believe Jesus is the hope for everyone. And that he is the solution to the human dilemma. And I think everyone needs to know him. And right now, I'm doing that with youth. I don't know if you've ever done that. I mean, that'll, oh, okay. You know, it ended up turning into a good conversation, but that was a challenging moment in which I had to simply say, you know what? This is my cross. It's not a cross of to earn favor with God, that is purchased by Jesus. It is not about salvation. This is your process of sanctification. As Jesus says here in verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross, what that means is you have a cross and I have a cross. There are personal crosses, public displays, public deaths that you have to be a part of and I have to be a part of in our faithful walk with Christ. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be a rocky road ahead. And Jesus is saying, before you follow me to the end, understand the cost that is ahead of you. The fourth issue that he raises is that of financial. He says, whoever does not give up all of his own possessions cannot be my disciple. And for many of us, we look at that and we're like, really? Okay, I mean, all, financial, own? What does it mean in Greek? Yeah, well, it means all, (laughs) own, Possessions. Well, they can't mean that. Yeah, well, in verse 33, yes, he, he clearly means that. So what does that mean for us? How does that play out practically? Well, one of the most convicting illustrations that I hear from this is that of, of John Wesley. John Wesley figured out the amount of income he needed to live on. And each year as his income increased, instead of um, increasing his standard of living, he increased his standard of giving up to the point by the end of his life, he lived on 10% of his income. That's challenging. A friend of mine, actually, who lived here, he, he worked here in College Station, and it was fun watching him wrestle through this uh, kind of scenario of his life because he, as he, was, he had a wife and kids, and as he was meeting with us in our small group, he kept on telling us, you know what, I feel like life is too easy here. I feel like I've got to go somewhere else. I feel like I've got to do something more challenging. I I feel like there's got to be something else. And probably about three or four months later, an opportunity arose 
for him to go to a Muslim nation. And after a lot of prayer and consideration with his family, they decided to leave the safety and security of College Station, Texas, and go to a Muslim nation. One that's not open to Christians, but one in which he is living a Christian life, trying to share the gospel in the place where he is. He sold all of his possessions, his financial property, so that he could go be there. See, the the issue I think that Jesus is raising, really, with all of these is not, here's what you have to do for me to love you. He's saying, do you love me? Then live with open hands. And what he's really saying is, there's no success in life without sacrifice. I mean, when you're watching a, a receiver run down the field, and he turns across catches the ball, takes hard hits in the side. We celebrate it. We clap. We're like, woo! Why? Because he sacrificed for the sake of the team. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Am I worth it? Then sacrifice. And he gives two illustrations after this. He gives two illustrations, one of a building and the other of a battle. And don't read too much into these illustrations other than this one point that he is trying to communicate. Think about what you're walking into. Be intentional. Be intentional about the life ahead of you. And so the first illustration is that of a building. And he says, he says, don't go halfway. You are building a building. You're building a life. And don't know that it's going to cost and it's going to be challenging as you continue to build this building. He also gives the illustration of a battle. And he says, if a king is going out to war, what he's going to do is evaluate what's ahead and make proper decisions along the way. And what Jesus is saying is, look, there's going to be a rocky road ahead of you and ahead of me. And what we need to do is walk wisely, walk in wisdom, because there will be challenges, there will be circumstances in your life, in front of you, which you're going to confront that may cause you to want to turn back. In Paul's letter to Timothy, the second letter to Timothy, it's one of Paul's darkest moments. He's in prison, and as, as you can read it, he says, Everyone abandoned me. In particular, Demas. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, Paul states that having loved this present world, he has departed and left for Thessalonica. We don't know the exact reasoning, but Paul clearly says, Having loved this present world, and I think it's safe to say that the challenges of following Paul were more than he could bear. Billy Graham faced the same issue. Right before the um, L.A. Crusades that kind of sparked his ministry and really brought him to prominence, uh, I'm reading his biography right now, and I, as I'm reading his biography, he really pours out his heart of his struggle to continue to follow God. Right before the L.A. Crusade, the big moment that sparked and spotlighted his ministry, a good friend of his named Chuck Templeton began questioning the authority of Scripture, whether or not God was really real, and he, as his biography records, he took his Bible, he went to the forest, he put it on a stump, opened it up randomly, couldn't read it because it was dark, and he got on his knees and he said, Lord, there's a lot of things in your word that I don't understand. But then he says this, Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith, I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe that this is your inspired word. 
you and I will face challenges. You and I will, will face difficulties. And what God is calling us to is to embrace him, to trust him, to continue to walk with him. The question I think you, need, you and I need to answer as well is, is this. Why should we embrace this cross? Why should we continue this? And really, Jesus gives two answers. He gives one at the end of this. He says, giving the illustration of salt, he says, Therefore, salt is good, but even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless. One reason to continue this life, even though it will cost, is so that at the end of the day, you can say, I've lived a worthwhile, useful, vibrant life to which God is going to look and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Flip over a couple pages to Luke chapter 18, verse 28. Because Peter asked the same question. I think this is great because Peter was wrestling with the same issue. Okay, if there's going to be these kinds of challenges ahead of us, what can we expect to gain? Luke chapter 18, verse 28. Peter said, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and the age to come eternal life. Jesus is saying, look, there is reward today for your faithfulness. There is a clear conscience. There is blessing of knowing that you are following the will of God. And also, there is a brilliant, bright future ahead of you. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I do not consider that the sufferings at this present time are even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. I love this quote from David Livingston. He says, People talk of sacrifices that I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice? Which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthy activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word, such a view, such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice, say rather a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then, with a foregoing of common convenience and of charities of this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory hereafter that shall be revealed to us, I never made a sacrifice. Of this we not, ought not talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high and gave himself for us. Three considerations and, and one illustration for us to close. Consider the, the cost to Christ to come and save you. He left glory and honor, was rejected by all, painfully died on a cross for you. Consider your current life. What are you living for? There are so many things in this life that simply fade away and vanish away. As I'm getting older, it becomes clearer and clearer that no matter how big you are in a band today, you will be forgotten tomorrow. Watch VH1, where are they now? 
And consider the glories to come. Consider heaven. And everyone in heaven will simply be celebrating what God has done in the world, looking to God saying, you know what, it was worth it. No one is going to look back and say, you know what, I wish I would have spent more time on my stocks. I wish I would have spent more time reading worthless books. I wish I would have spent more time on vacation. Everyone is going to be looking at God and He is going to be celebrating the sacrifices, the lives that people lived for Him. And lastly this. The motivation is love. When I married my wife and I gave her that ring for engagement, what I didn't do is say, well, this is going to be financially rough. There's going to be social dilemma here because I can't date anyone else now. There's going to be personal sacrifice involved with this. No. I loved her. And the excitement of walking and living a life fully for her far outweighed any sacrifice that I could give. Any sacrifice that I was making. When we follow Christ, I love what Jonathan Edwards says. He says, following Christ, walking with God is this, stirring up holy affections. It's your love that motivates. It's your love for him and his kingdom and his plan in this world that motivates us to give up everything for his sake. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this morning. And Lord, it is a tough call that you have asked for us. Father, I know many of us in here, we're we're mulling over our responsibilities or our work or our our different environments where where you're calling us to to take a step away for your sake. And Father, I know those are challenges. I pray that you give us strength as you promised you would. And Father, if there's anyone here that is not first and foremost, put their faith in you for the forgiveness of their sins. Let them not hear a laundry list of things to do, a fearful list of things to do, but first receive grace and receive love and see that this life is about joy and fulfillment and following you and it's worth the sacrifice. We love you. And if anyone's prayed that prayer, I would encourage you to pick up some, some materials or tell one of the elders or deacons here. For the rest of us, give us courage as we walk in faithfulness. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.